welcome independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind to Shadow Citizen. Shadow Citizen will explore the shadows of an alternate reality. Your host, Rachel L. McIntosh. Everybody, welcome to the show. We made it through another week, and I'm very happy to report that we've got uh, a guest that's been with us before, and it was very recently, Attorney Kurt Haskell. Um, and I didn't expect to speak with him this quickly after the last time he spoke with us. He spoke with us the last time about Charlottesville, and he gave his critique of the incident, and of the, the call, he called it a false flag event, and he's gave us the reasons why he didn't believe that anybody died in Charlottesville. So immediately when the Mandalay Bay thing happened in Las Vegas, who was the first person I was going to contact was Kurt, because quite frankly, this event in Las Vegas had a lot of the fingerprints of a false flag event, but it's clear people died and I, I didn't understand what was going on. So I wanted to talk to him. So, Kurt Haskell, thank you for joining us. No problem, Rachel. Glad to be back. All right. So, why don't you tell me when, um, when you first, when you, your little red flag went up, like, oh my gosh, something's off. Uh, the the first <laughs> the first second I heard about it, because the first thing I heard, well, let me put it this way, I went I went to bed early on the night of October first, so I didn't hear about this until I woke up the next morning and it had, had already happened about eight hours earlier. The very first thing I heard was Lori coming in the bedroom said, get out of bed. The, the biggest mass shooting in U.S. history has happened overnight. And that's all I need to hear to know that something's probably not right. The biggest mass shooting in history. Well, really? You yeah. know, and that's a red flag with me right there. So. Right. But that, yeah. I, I figured as much, so that's why I called you. The, right. the, red, the red flag for me, though, is I learned about it the next morning as well. And already at that point, people, the videos were already circulating on YouTube and on Facebook and on Twitter. And the very first one that I watched, you could hear it sounded actually like two different types of guns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well okay, well, that's supposed to come from one guy over in this one hotel. And I was, you know, I was devastated. I was like, what the heck's going on in America? But that was the first thing that was like, okay, I think, I think I just heard two different guns. So that was my first indication. That was something I was up. Yeah. It's, you know, I heard it was the biggest mass shooting in us history. So, excuse me. the, The first thing I think of is that, well, this is, is a propagandized event because if you have, the biggest mass shooting in history, well, you can use that for all kinds of uh, reasons to pass laws, to implement policies, and this sort of thing. I didn't know what exactly was going on at that point, but it was that alone is very questionable to me because I understand how they operate. They did the same thing with the Pulse nightclub event in Orlando a couple – couple years back i think two years ago mm-hmm. anyway that was the, the you know the then biggest mass shooting in u.s history mm-hmm. and and that one actually is in my opinion uh, completely fake where nobody was shot but this one 
No, I was trying try to have an open mind and and look at look at the evidence as it comes out and have that lead me instead of coming in with a uh, a firm belief as to what happened. So that's kind of what I tried to do here and try and piece it together. Okay. So in, the other interesting thing that happened to me too, almost immediately was that somebody unfriended me on Facebook. Somebody I've known for like 10 years. They unfriended me when I questioned this event. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Aren't people, can't they? Wow. So that's another reason why I said I have to call up Kurt Haskell and just make it plain that, you know, there's sometimes things are seem obvious to people that are attuned to this and other mm-hmm. people feel like, yeah, you're just crazy. That's why. But I don't think so. I think there's a lot of different things that are happening in this incident. I personally believe that the people died um, mm-hmm. at, at this Las Vegas thing. Do you think people died? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Okay. Hundred okay. percent for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. And so let's just start off the conversation like that. So we won't people go, oh, because they immediately like, oh, you're into all these hoaxes, and they start throwing in Sandy Hook and all this other. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm looking at this one thing right here. This, and I just, you know, and it turns into this giant thing. People like glom on all these other instances where they've dealt with conspiracy theorists, and mm-hmm. it felt really bad. So I'm trying to. I guess I'm trying to make up for this person who unfriended me because I really felt like this incident in Las Vegas was horrific and people should be looking at it more closely. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a lot of people on my Facebook page telling me I'm wrong, yelling at me, screaming, what have you. I tried to not uh, get angry over it because I understand there's a lot of evidence out there that this was fake a lot. Maybe more, maybe more evidence that it was fake than it was real. Um, but you can't jump to conclusions. You have to actually look at it all, at all of it. And what, one other interesting little tidbit I had uh, in the, the week before this happened, I had a huge amount of friend requests for my page. I had, I think, 134 friend requests um, with there really was nothing going on that week except, you know, the Colin Kaepernick kneeling stuff with the NFL, which I, I just put three posts up about. I wasn't talking about much else. So plus, normally. Plus you'd been lifting at the gym and, you know, <laughs> you've been looking good. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I do, do good at the gym a lot, Rachel. But, <laughs> but anyway, so it's that's a people, topic for another show, I think. Right, right. <laughs> good with Kurt Haskell in Costa Rica. But anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, nonetheless, so you got all these weird people showing up at your page. Yeah, so I mentioned it to Lori. I'm like, this is weird because in a normal week when there's not a big false flag event, I have maybe like five to ten friend requests for a week. And this week I had 104, and I accepted 40 of them. And just within a few days I had to boot 11 of them, you know, for saying rude things or, you know, acting like trolls, which is which is weird because normally that might be a year's worth of people I kick off my page 11. So it was kind of bizarre. It was almost like my page was targeted for a troll attack. And then we had this Las Vegas event right after. So it's really, really weird. Hmm. But anyway, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about on today's show is I think this is a, an event that was put out there in part. It's not the main reason, but in part to divide the truth community. Because we've had we've had a run of fake events. We've had a lot of fake ones without people dying. The last one 
in my opinion, where people actually died with San Bernardino, which is two or three years ago now. And uh, truth, people in the truth community are getting in the habit of calling everything a hoax where nobody dies, where it's all fake, yada, yada, yada. And then they throw this one in there where this, I mean, what happened here was a drill that went live. There was a, a drill, a mass casualty drill going on in Las Vegas that went live. It's sort of like what happened on 9-11 where there were drills going on in 9-11 that went live. Who was throwing those drills? Was it FEMA? Well, um, they don't really say. I suspect it's Department of Homeland Security. They don't really say. There's a real curious article in a Las Vegas newspaper where they talk about drills that need to take place in Las Vegas by the end of September. There's a deadline. But they don't really say what they're going to be about, who's putting them on. Yeah, because uh, I and they don't say which dates. They only say they they need to happen by the end of September. Right. Kind of curious. Right, because I um checked out the FEMA page and because instantly people were like there's drills going on right now too. Everybody's like ah, but then I went to the FEMA page and there weren't any drills planned until the next month. Right. They're yeah. they're trying to keep this one under wraps, somewhat anyway. But mm-hmm. so it was in the newspaper. It was in the newspaper in early September that drills in Las Vegas would be taking place by the end of September. Mm-hmm. That's about all they said about it. But anyway, but on top of that, there was a video where we see people in the crowd running before the gunshots happen. It's not a lot before, but like one or two seconds before. It kind of reminds me of Charlottesville where we saw – you know, the two the two cars in the front rolling before they were hit by the car in the back. It's a slight timing error. You know, maybe they got their clue from something other than the gunshots. You know, I don't know what their clue to start running was. But their timing was off a little. And it's not just that. There's other things. I've, I've seen countless interviews with people that I think are fake, you know, saying they were hit, you know, multiple times in the chest. And here they are you know, out telling their story kind of thing. Just real, fake, unbelievable stories. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of sort of like the um, guy that got, he was, the, I don't know what he was doing, clearing the rooms. And just, was it today, it came out that he got shot in the thigh. The original story was he got shot in the thigh, dodged 200 bullets, got shot in the thigh, got that repaired, and then went on to clear the rooms at the Mandalay. But today, hey, the sheriff hey. came out. They, yeah. I actually want to talk uh, quite a bit about him. Yeah, let's talk about him if you want. I think he's an I think he's an important part. But back to the to the crisis actors for a minute. Okay, sure. There's a there's another video that I saw. It was really really weird, very strange video. And what it showed was a guy walking around with a cell phone, and he's trying to assess the injured people to see who needs EMTs the most. And he's videoing the injured people, and he walks up to a man laying on the ground who supposedly has a bullet a bullet hole, and he looks under his shirt, and he says, I can't find any entry wound or exit wound. I can't, can't assess this person, which is strange. He goes on to another girl. She's laying on the ground. He checks for a pulse. Blood comes out of her mouth. It looks like she's dead. 
you know, he goes up to another group of people, and this is after the shooting had ended, and he says, Do you, they're crouched by a fence. He says, do any of you need any help? And they say, no, we're good, which I thought was weird, because why aren't they leaving? And he looks at a couple more people, and then the lights go out as he's coming up to a group of people, and you can hear him talk to a security guard who you can't see, who's off camera, but you can hear him. And the, the guy's complaining. He says, I need the lights back on to assess the injured people. And the security guard says, uh, you don't need to help these people. They're all dead. And we had already seen a few people that were not dead, obviously, that were laying there injured. So it was really bizarre. I couldn't figure out if these were really injured people or crisis actors faking it. But a couple of them really looked dead. Uh-huh. And I thought about this, and I thought about it, and I thought about it more. And how can we have a security officer saying they're all dead when they're not? I mean, who would be that callous, that uncaring? Um, and I, I'd have to say that that leads me to believe that these were crisis actors that were actually, some of them actually shot, I think. So it was a very weird, weird video. And right. I think the... Do you still have the link to that thing? Because I'll put it at the, mm-hmm. in the footer of this. Uh, this yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's on my Facebook page, sure. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll organize it at the end. We'll put it, yeah, we'll get it together. So, yeah, but not, don't just watch the video. Listen to what they say. It's really, really bizarre. So I have to – I mean, that was part of the reason – that I finally concluded that I think security guards were involved in the shooting. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason. Not the only reason, but that's part of it, that video. Because he's saying people are all dead here. So he wants this guy with the camera to get out of there. He doesn't care about these injured people at all. It also looks like some of them are acting, which makes this a very bizarre scenario. Bizarre, because we have people, crisis actors acting mixed in with injured people. So this is proof, in my opinion, of a drill that went live because these people that are still acting, maybe they don't realize that the other people in the video were actually hit with real gunfire, I think is what's going on. It's really, really bizarre scenario. Yeah, that is. It is. It's strange. But anyway, there was a drill. There was a drill. There's tons and tons of crisis actors in this one. But that doesn't mean it wasn't real. This was a real shooting. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make it not look real, though. And they're trying to confuse people, and they're trying to split the truth or community after their very obviously fake event in Charlottesville that – you know, people in the truth community proved 100% was completely fake. So now they're trying to divide the truth community. Yeah, on my on my Facebook page, I posted, I really think they just said, screw making up a, a realistic narrative. Let them figure it out. They're so good at it, these, you know, these conspiracy theory types. They'll figure, they'll just make something out, just throw anything out there, every little piece of whatever. And I honestly feel like it's like an etch-a-sketch. Somebody took an etch-a-sketch and just kind of squiggled it around, shook a little bit about it, and then placed it out there for everybody to see. There's a little bit of a crisis actors. There's a little bit of real shooting. There's motive from like seven different places. <laughs> right. It kind of reminds me of the JFK. It reminds me exactly of the JFK. Yes. You know, a shooter up high, but we have other shooters too. Police, uh, people dressed as security or police being involved in the shooting. 
you know, try, I think there's a triangulation of shooting most likely uh-huh. also, you know, and a massive cover up. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Who was, happened. who was the um, guy who you recommended the, the video to me is the guy, mm-hmm. he's from New York. He's walking around with his cell phone, re, re putting step by step how, mm-hmm. uh, well, the taxi cab driver drove through the Mandalay and how that female taxi cab driver the sound of the shots were really, really loud from the window from the Mandalay. However, other shots were going off at the other points that he was pointing out as the two other shooting areas. Yeah, I don't know if he's completely correct there. I think his name is, uh, boy, Bild- Bildis or Bendis, his last name, I forget. But um, the... The reason I like that video is he brings brings up the taxi cab video, which the taxi cab driver driver is parked when the shooting starts directly below the 32nd floor uh, broken window of Mandalay Bay, where they're saying that the sole shooter was at, which kind of lends believability that there were some shots fired from there anyway. But then you can also hear uh, – other shots that are obviously fired from a greater distance. So mm-hmm. it, it, it lends believability to the fact that there were, was more than one shooter here. Right. So it, it does a couple things. It says, uh, there was a shooter at Mandalay Bay for sure somewhere, not necessarily in the 32nd floor, but somewhere around where she was parked. And that's where she was parked directly below there. And there was another shooter somewhere else. So it tells us that. Another interesting part is in that same tactical video, just after shots are fired, she's out. She moved her car over by the Mandalay Bay sign and a security guard after shots are fired, a security car guard goes running by her car on the left, uh, heading out away from the hotel. And she even comments in the video, gee, I wonder what that security card is doing out here. And then that portion of the video was played on mainstream media, and they actually edited that part out where she said that, which is kind of of telling to me. Because what is he doing out there? You have supposedly all this automatic gunfire coming from his hotel, supposedly. They're on the grounds of the Mandalay Bay. Firing down, he's out running on one of the access roads and running away from Mandalay Bay. What is he doing out there? What is he doing? Or is he involved? Or maybe, really he's, ra- just, or maybe he's just scared. <laughs> <laughs> if he's scared, he should be going in under the roof or something, right? You uh, yeah. He's not running out in the he, line of fire. Towards, yeah. yeah, towards the bullets, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's very questionable what he's doing out there. Which kind of, which is another piece that adds to uh, what I was saying a minute ago. I think this is a case where people dressed as security or police or the shooters, multiple, multiple mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, now have have they established? Has the official narrative established what type of gun was shot, which killed everybody? Um, I haven't read that anywhere. It's possible. I don't know. I haven't really been focusing on that, though, because I don't think we'll ever get a truthful answer to that. Because right. I think 
I think there was more than one kind of gun use because I think the there were people within the concert that were using a different kind of weapon that were also firing. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like I heard two different types of guns. And I'm not a big gun person, really, but I could, me, just a little me, I could tell there were two different sounds happening. Well, I agree. Uh, I agree. And from different distances. At least mm-hmm. two. If yeah. not three or four. Yeah. Do they know this guy, um, Jesus, Jesus, what what he got <laughs> shot with? What did he get? Jesus. Yeah, what did he get uh, shot with? I, I haven't read where they said that, but they, they said... Let, you know, let's talk about Jesus a minute because I, yeah. I think this is a, I think it's a big part of the story people are overlooking. So Jesus got shot once on the, a grazing shot on his leg. Okay, that's fine. There, supposedly Paddock. By the way, I don't believe Paddock was involved in the shooting at all in any way, but we'll get to that later on. I, the the story is Paddock fired 200 shots at him from an automatic weapon on the hall in the hallway of the 32nd floor on Mandalay Bay and only one shot hit him, a grazing shot on his leg. Okay. That's not very believable. They also, if that were true, we would have all already seen the pictures of where the, the 200 rounds hit uh, on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay. That would be a good shot to show the press, you know, kind of like the breached door of room uh, 135 on room uh, 32nd floor. You know, that we've seen pictures of the breached door. Anyway, we don't see those because it's a nonsense story. The whole story surrounding Jesus Campos is garbage, and I'm going to tell you why. The first, the first account we have of Jesus Campos is that uh, he went up to the 32nd floor because there was an open door. It set up some kind of an alarm. And he went up there, the shooter shot him once, and the shooter got scared and immediately stopped firing and killed himself. Okay, now, in the press conference yesterday, uh, where we see Sheriff Lombardo talking about Jesus Campos, the, the story changed. The story changed to Jesus Campos was shot before uh, the shooting took place, the the shooting by Paddock or whoever the shooter was took place, So, which begs the question, how were police not up there sooner? How, how were police not even notified? Actually, someone, one of the reporters in the press conference yesterday asked that question to Sheriff Lombardo. Did Jesus Campos notify the police that someone had shot him? And the answer was no. So we have security at Mandalay Bay not even informing police of the shooting as the Las Vegas police search all over the area for this guy shooting automatic weapons all over the place. And this supposedly happened before shooting took place. So it's a garbage story. Yeah, it's a little sketchy, yeah. It's it's beyond sketchy. So uh but what what would make sense is is this. Jesus Campos goes to the thirty second floor. Jesus Campos is a security guard at Mandalay Bay, goes to the thirty second floor. He goes into room thirty two one thirty five with his master key 
shoots out a couple windows and starts firing a few hundred rounds from an automatic weapon. And then he leaves the room and goes back on duty. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, that makes perfect sense. And then we have... But wait a second. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. We have an eyewitness account from Brian Hodge, who is staying in room 32134, the room next door, Mm -hmm. who says Las Vegas police killed a security guard on my floor. Killed. Oh, my gosh. Not just wounded one in the thigh. Killed him. So then... We have to ask this question. Why is Jesus Campos not giving any interviews? He's he's nowhere. He should be on TV. He should be all over the mainstream media. Remember, he was a major hero for a few days till they changed the timeline. We don't see this guy. There are no pictures of this guy anywhere. And then we have the the news release release. Earlier today, that in fact, Jesus Campos is no longer employed by Mandalay Bay. Now, why would that be the case uh, if this guy is some sort of hero, right? It doesn't make yeah. sense. No, and did, no comment why he's no longer employed there. None. Right. Didn't the president of the union of the – is the it was like this big, long union of like the hotel workers, security guards, is the president of something in – I think it was in – I think the New York Times, one of the big newspapers quoted this guy as mm-hmm. how his, his, her, heroic he was. Yes. And, like all, gar- and all of a sudden, he's da- I, now he doesn't work there anymore. Wow. Remember, right. And remember, too, uh, this, uh, and I don't know how many have read this, and I don't remember where I read it or if somebody sent it to me, but the security cameras on floor 32 were all looped. It kept really? just it kept just showing uh, repeating frames, so someone in security was able to mm-hmm. to set that up somehow, so nobody could see what was going on on thirty second floor. So remember this too: there were cameras in in the room and in the hallway. Now the ones in the hallway make a lot of sense; they were set up on um, room service carts. Right. Okay, so maybe. Poss- maybe possibly those could have been used to tip off a shooter that someone was coming. Okay, the ones that don't make sense are there were four. There were two on room service carts. Now, if you put those out by elevators, these are long hallways at Mandalay Bay. Put them by elevators, and maybe your room is by closer to a stairwell. Maybe you see maybe see someone on the cameras, and you can head down the stairwell. Maybe. What's more questionable, though, is the camera on the peephole. Okay, once you get cops to your door at the peephole, you're done. You're you're caught or you're dead. And, and the one that's even more questionable than that is the one that was sitting in, in the middle of his hotel room. It was a baby monitor with a camera sitting in the middle of his hotel room. Okay, once the cops are in your room, you're really dead. So we have to ask ourselves... What what was the real purpose of these cameras? Uh, so it, there there's two possibilities. The first possibility is that this was some sort of uh, sting operation that went wrong, which is entirely possible. And these were FBI type cameras to record everything that took place. 
the the other possibility is the one I'm not leaning to, which is that this this room was entirely set up for this drill gone live, and these cameras were there to make sure nobody saw what was set up, whether it be a maid, security officer, whatever, and those people would then be uh, intimidated or killed if they saw anything so that they wouldn't talk. So I think that's what those were there for. So we would record the people in the hallway that somehow wandered up there. It would record who was entering the room and we would record what they saw in the room. That, that's the purpose of the fourth one. So I think sure. that probably makes the most sense. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Now, going back to the room, though, the other thing that was found in the room was this mystery phone charger. And then mm-hmm. when they found out who the phone charger belonged to, the guy ends up killing himself and his daughter. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to make out of that. I, I think they're just starting to throw throw things out there. In the newspaper, it said he brought his daughter who suffered from some sort of disease. And I'm still unsure of how old she actually was. One article I saw, I got the impression she was like in her 20s. And another one sounded like she was much younger or maybe she had such a, a debility that um, she was, you know, mentally younger. I don't, I'm not sure what her her situation was, but the story said that he brought her out to the backyard. It was about five o'clock. The wife was in the house doing something. He had a shotgun. And this first article said he shot her with a shotgun to the head and then shot himself in the back of the head. So I was like, well, wow, was that a typo or is that really just what happened? Because that's like impossible. (laughs) Right. Right. So I, you know, I don't know what to make out of that. because I think they're just throwing stories out there now to confuse people. Things like that. It could. I don't know what to make out of it. I don't even yeah. know what to say. Yeah, because but, the wife didn't hear it, and then they interviewed kids in the neighborhood. There was some kid doing a sleepover. He was there at his friend's house at dinner time. They didn't hear the shotguns blast or anything, and the wife was all beside herself. And uh, uh, you know, just and she he had some sort of connection to some defense contractor that just got the contract for that very phone that the charger was found in the Hope Mandalay. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's all very confusing. We all, we also have conflicting reports, uh, you know, of the, the police um, releasing the wrong date he checked in. Right. They initially said he checked in on the 28th and then changed it to the 25th. And they uh, said he, he checked in under Mary Lou's name, his girlfriend, which is weird. And there's also reports of room service delivered for two people. So uh, that would seem to indicate to me that maybe Mary Lou was actually there. Yeah, but it could have been, according to the UK newspapers, that he had a, a high-priced you know, prostitute there. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what they, that's what they want them. you to believe. Yeah, right. That's that's what they want you to believe. And it is Vegas. So, you know, this guy's a high roller. It's possible, I guess. But I think it's more likely that Mary Lou was there. And this was some sort of I I think both Mary Lou and uh, Stephen Paddock were were or are. I don't think either one are dead. Are uh, intelligence assets. And maybe this was some. You think they are intelligence assets or not? Yeah, are. Okay. Okay. All right. 
they both they both have very very sketchy histories, and for for sure sure Mary Lou's alive. And as far as Stephen Panic, uh, I don't think the body in the room matches him. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that because when you see the picture of the head blown out, you know now everybody in America is now looking at heads blown out like it's no big whoop anymore, right? So you see it. <laughs> And you see his throat, and he looks much, much younger with his throat than the picture that they originally sent out to the world of him looking fairly drunk in his throat. Some people said it looked like he had a 13 uh, tattooed, but I think that's just his scraggly old neck. Yeah. Um, yeah but it, they looked like different necks. Doesn't look like the same person, right? The skin mm. looks a lot on, on the, the deceased person. The skin looks a lot more tight. Mm-hmm. And and I know that the head's bent back bent back a little, but that doesn't ex- explain away how tight the skin is compared to, to Paddock's neck, which is, has very loose skin. Yeah. So we have that. We have what appears to be darker uh, hair on his chin, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which you know, there there's some gray in it or white, but it looks more like a beard of someone in their 50s than in their mid-60s. That would be completely white. Mm-hmm. And there's also a couple moles on uh, the dead body's neck that I don't see in any pictures of Paddock. I can't, it's not conclusive because of they're around the neckline, but it doesn't appear to me that they're in, on Stephen Paddock's neck. And it, it just doesn't – and you mentioned the 13. I don't think that was a tattoo – on Panic's neck, but it's some sort of either scar or maybe just some some sort of skin fold. But it, regardless, it should be there, and it's not. There should be some sort of wrinkle there, mark, something. It's not. I don't think these are the same people. Yeah, I don't now, think they are either. I don't think so. Was somebody really killed there? I think so. I think this is a real dead body. I don't know who it is or how they're involved. But uh, if we look at the pistol, there's a, a, a pistol laying uh, a few feet over the head of the body, and it's covered in blood. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's uh, blood drops going from the pistol to the hand of the dead body. So it looks like that, <laughs> that, that, that someone really was killed. So. Yeah. But it looks to me like that pistol was in a pool of blood and was moved. And it's not where it should be either if this was a suicide. It should be probably still in his hand. Right, right. When you shoot yourself, your your fingers freeze up. And he should probably still be holding or it should be very close to his hand. And mm. it's not. And then we have a rifle laying over his left ankle, like it was, yeah, over his body. That didn't yeah. make sense at all either. It's like, well, how did that get there? Right, like somebody set it there. And then we have what looks like two different pools of blood behind his head, one dry and another one wet. So uh, it looks like you shot at two different times. So you know, this is some sort of stage scene, and that's just the body. Then if we look at the rest of the scene. Okay, well, we have the the gun casings laying on top of the blood, but they don't have any blood on them. It was just like they were sat there on top of the blood. We have that. We have 
not that many casings at all. I mean, they're trying to say this guy fired how many shots? Hundred, hundreds. Yeah, like a thousand. I don't know. Thousands. A lot. There's not that many there. There's not that many, and there's fifty or so, hundred maybe. But where, where are the rest of them? Um, there's no evidence of broken windows. We don't see that at all. And we don't see any residue from the guns firing. And there should be a lot of dust and powder all over the place. Don't wouldn't see that. that. Have, yeah, wouldn't that have set off fire alarms? Yes, definitely. As would uh, the breaking of the windows. Right. Um, Back right. to those, yeah, those windows things have bothered. I have circled this when you first were talking about the room, the, sh- the shootout of the windows. That was a big, big deal when the story first broke out. There's like broken windows. I watched a thing about the actual hurricane um, bulletproof glass in the Mandalay Hotel. That mm-hmm. You cannot just break that with a hammer. There, they said <laughs> there was a hammer in the room. You can't just do that. And it's very hard to do even do it with a bullet from a gun. Right. So how how was it done? I, that's my question. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing it was probably done with a gun. They probably had some specific kind of bullets that were used to break that glass but but that begs the question well why weren't security tipped off to the glass breaking right mm-hmm. but it, go, it all goes back to what i said earlier somebody there was somebody within security there right that, you, you said that it was on this loop and that made me uh-huh. think too there was a security um the black hats black hats like a security group they were having a conference a few weeks before this and somebody hypothesizes somebody within that was in that conference was talking about uh, the cameras in the hotel, and maybe that's where the I, I, it's it's a very weak weak link. Um, but I don't know. Maybe somebody was there was able to look at the hotel's cameras just because of that conference. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they were hacked into from outside. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, anyway. But- Somebody had tampered with them, which would give them, you know, maybe enough time to fire off all the shots without getting detected and get out of there. I don't think all the shots were fired from this room. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think they were firing the whole time either. I think this was a case where they went in, everything was set up, and fired off a couple hundred rounds real quick and got out. I think maybe the shooter was in there, you know, a couple minutes, two, three minutes, where, you know, the, the security camera is being turned off in a, or put in a loop, and probably the the alarms on the windows and and anything else on the floor were also probably tampered with, I would think, from within security. Mm-hmm. And, and that would have bought enough time to get in and get out of there. And, of course, if anyone saw Campos, who I think was the shooter on the 32nd floor, he would have been – uh, and not a suspect, probably. He's, you know, he's dressed as a security guard just up there on a shift. And to make it more believable, he says, look, I've already been shot. He probably shot himself, I would think. He only, had, he only has a grazing wound on his leg. So that, that would make him even more believable. Look, mm-hmm. I didn't do this. Somebody shot me. Uh, what, going back to that first time you said that, you said it was, there was some report somebody made that they killed the security guard on my floor. Uh-huh. You, Brian, you, Brian Hodge. All right, Brian Hodge. 
All right, uh-huh. so that guy, maybe maybe the guy that we're seeing with the blood all up, maybe that's the real Jesus Campos? The one that was killed? Well, yeah, the picture. Yeah, okay. of the, that could be maybe the real one. Oh. The real, real Campos? The guy in the room? Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't really look Spanish. I don't oh. think so. Okay. I don't know how old Jesus Campos was supposed to be either. Yeah, good but, point. How? Yeah, nobody saw a real picture of him. There's nothing on this guy either. It's like these people, you can tell they're intelligence assets because you look for information on them. There's almost nothing. Same thing with Paddock and same thing with uh, this Mary Lou Danley, the girlfriend. Yeah, what about There's, Mary Lou? Do you yeah, Mary, about her? Yeah, Mary Lou. Uh, she came, she's from the Philippines. She mm-hmm. lived in... Australia for 10 years and then she came to the US the the person that wrote a recommendation for her to get a visa was an employee at the State Department of the US government which I thought was interesting mm-hmm. and then like Paddock she had only been with Paddock since I think 2013 or 14 not that long a few years but like Paddock, she had moved all over the U.S. She has all kinds of addresses and uh, several aliases. She was married to two different men at the same time oh. using using different names. Actually, I think she's still married to both. I haven't seen any divorce records whatsoever. I think she still is. Mm-hmm. And uh, living with Paddock while married to two other men mm-hmm. and – it's it's like you can't you have a hard time finding information on these people. Like we can't even find the name of her her first husband or who her daughter's father is if you do a search. So that should be common information, you know, that's available, but you can't find it. But that's how these people are. They use multiple aliases, they constantly move around. Um even her and Paddock we're told they lived in Mesquite, Nevada for years. I think his brother said that, uh, Eric Paddock, when they interviewed him. But oh, another other, one. He's another one. we got to talk right, about that, him. Yeah, that's another one. But if you look at uh, what their neighbors are saying, they're saying they were hardly ever at the Mesquite address, and they lived in Reno. So it's all very weird. It's all very strange. You know, these aren't normal people with, that have jobs and just stay in one location or rarely move, you know, and you can check their, their history very easily. They're all very, very shady. Same thing with this Jesus Campos. You can't even find a picture of the guy, right. you know, who was the, the number one hero of the story for a few days, didn't even do an interview. I mean, come on. How now, is that possible? All right. So back to Paddock. Mm-hmm. Was he really a millionaire? Uh, supposedly he was worth like $5 million. Okay. Cause when he first showed up on the scene, he looked like just this drunk, drunk guy. And I, when I found out later, it's like, he's a millionaire. He's got planes that he flies around. And then somebody did some searching on the airplane that he owns or owned. And that was linked to, um, different. It looked like, you know, sh- like shadowy, maybe CIA agent front type of things. Right, a CIA front, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Paddock, uh, who's worth like $5 million, 
hasn't had an official job since 1983. Mm-hmm. No, none. So that was 34 years ago. So he hasn't had an official job since he was 30 years old. What was his job before this? He worked for, um, uh, I think it was a Department of Defense contractor. Oh, naturally, well, he was, sure. He was, a, he was a, I think, a mailman for a while, an IRS agent, and then worked, I'm pretty sure, for a Department of Defense contractor. And then since 1983, nothing. And so he hasn't had a job since he was 30 years old, but he's worth like $5 million, which mm-hmm. is very questionable. You have his plane tied to a CIA front, um, and you have his brother saying that his brother is named Eric Paddock. Eric Paddock said, Stephen made me very rich. And then later in the same interview, he said, no, I got rich on my own because I worked a lot of hours. Uh-huh. Very strange. Uh-huh. He also says Stephen made our mother very rich. So uh, this guy had tons of money, I guess, to make other people in his family rich. And then, uh, you know, we only have a, a couple pictures of this guy at all. One of the main one has his eyes closed. It's hard to even identify really well what he looks like, which again, you know, it is it would be something we would expect of a CIA asset of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very shadowy history. And his brother uh, said that Paddock makes millions off playing video poker. That's how he got rich. Video poker, which if anyone knows anything about gambling, you can't get rich off of playing machines. It's not possible. They're set to win a certain percent of the time, you know, which is more than the percent you're going to win. So it's really bizarre because they're trying to portray him as uh, a professional gambler. So that tells me that. Remember, you have to remember how how these agencies work, the CIA and FBI. When they're releasing information like this, they're releasing it to hide the truth. So this story, this this is an obvious lie that he's a professional gambler. It's impossible. The only way you can be a professional gambler is on on games where you can. In, where you can have a higher chance of winning than the casino. And that's limited to horse racing, sports betting, uh, card games where you play in person, uh, and blackjack if you're counting the cards only. That's it. Those are the only things you can play professionally. So this story of him being a professional video poker player is a lie. So now we have to ask, why are they telling this lie about how he make, made his money? Hmm. So well, then. I- then I was thinking when that uh, video poker, I was thinking because I used to live over by Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut, and there was a couple slot machines that you knew always paid out more than the other ones. And you know who told me? Some of the dealers that worked there behind the tables, they showed that machine tonight, that machine, and they would pay out more. So I was thinking when I heard he was this professional um, video poker guy, wouldn't it be, in my mind, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if that's how they actually paid him? Like, oh, okay, you did whatever you had to do. You got your information because you're CIA asset person. And tonight you're going to win at video poker. <laughs> I'm thinking it's more along these lines. Okay, so uh, we have 
We have them lying about how he makes his money. I don't believe yeah. he's a professional. Right. Professional yeah, I, I don't. OK, think so. But then we have the, the IRS coming out and saying his 2015 tax return shows five million dollars in earnings from gambling. OK, so they're adding to the lie the they're confirming the lie. So but what the IRS would have now, they might not be actually lying, the IRS. They would have 1099s from the casinos showing all these winnings. Now, why would he have all these 1099s from casinos? Because you only get a 1099 if you cash out, I think, $10,000 in winnings at one time. So it would have to be a lot. So why, uh, how or why would he have $5 million in winnings in one year? I would have to say that it's probably through some sort of illegal activity he was involved in with the casinos. Right. Which would probably be some sort of money laundering, I would guess. I could be wrong on that. And interestingly enough, we have the brother, Eric, when he did a a 30 minutes long interview with CBS News. And in the, Mm -hmm. the interview, he mentions... Uh, the $100,000 that Stephen wire transferred to Mary Lou in the Philippines. And he says something along the lines of, well, you know, that money might be clawed back. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because that's a term used money laundering. And the government comes in and undoes them and claws the money back to where it came from in the first place. Uh-huh. So we have this brother who's aware of, money laundering terms. Right, right. Right. On, yeah. Well, on top of that, wasn't he wearing a the PR management company for the Pulse nightclub in one of his interviews? Um, I saw something along those lines. It was, um, was it a PR group? It was some sort yeah, of. It was the PR management group for that took over the Pulse nightclub event to make that you know, to handle the crisis management of it. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't look into that thoroughly. I saw that somewhere, but I didn't read what the connection was exactly. So he has ties to the Orlando Pulse event, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No surprise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like he's taunting people. He's standing with his arms out. He's got the shirt on, and they've got the picture. It's like, wow, he's got the Pulse nightclub emergency the crisis management PR company's T-shirt on. That's interesting. <laughs> I know, yeah, maybe, it's interesting. All right. Maybe they went up to him and said, "Hey, look, we, we can help you out. Wear a shirt." You know, I don't. Who knows? Or maybe he's best friends with them. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I tend to not believe in coincidences like that, though. Yeah. Now this is so in the in your face. This event and trying to really get truthers to fight with each other. I'd have to say it's probably on purpose yeah. to get truthers to fight with each other. Now, what yeah. about the idea that, because um, I know right off the bat, one of the first things I saw that morning, the next morning, was SITE, S-I-T-E, which is a web, which is a, you know, it's a group that monitors things like ISIS and different uh-huh. terrorist groups and, you know, in the Middle East and how it affects the United States. Um, that SITE came out and said it, this was an ISIS attack. Now, granted, ISIS claims Every terrorist or horrible thing that happens that it's theirs anyway. But if it was one of theirs and there were all these cameras everywhere, don't you think ISIS would be like like putting that video out for the world to say, yeah, look how awesome we are. 
but we haven't seen anything from ISIS. Well, no, I mean, site is a propaganda organization. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, good. Thanks. It's, I, you know, I've done a lot of research on this over the years. It's run by Rita Katz. Right. Who, who yeah. I talk about frequently on my Facebook page. Rita Katz is an Israeli who is most likely part of the Mossad. Her father was uh, a Mossad agent who was executed in Iran for being a spy and in 1968, I think. And since that time, she's uh, become a, an anti-Islam propagandist, mm -hmm. and that's what her organization is. Now, a lot of people don't realize how much propaganda they're involved in. See, site makes, uh, I'm sorry, fi officially finds videos from ISIS on the Internet. Here's how they work. She employs, officially, she employs some college kids to search on the Internet in chat rooms of, uh, where jihadists hang out and finds ISIS material that she sells to the mainstream media to make a lot of money. Okay. So which videos has she found? You know, they try to hide where they get these videos, the mainstream media, but they all come from Rita Katz and such. Yeah. Yeah. Which ones am I talking about? Every beheading video of ISIS, every bin Laden video, uh, you know, and remember, a lot of these are proven fake already, you know, especially the bin Laden ones where he has a gray beard and the next one he has a dark beard where one video is right-handed, the next one he's left-handed. Anyway, she doesn't actually find these videos. They create them. They're very fake. It, you know, if people actually watch the beheading videos, you never see the actual beheading. You see the before, you see the after, and then you see a fake head sitting there. These are all Rita Katz Hollywood-type productions. So the fact that she comes out and says ISIS did it means nothing. She's a propagandist. ISIS is part of the federal government. They're they're uh, created, funded, supplied, and trained by the U.S. government as you know as a a reason to invade this country to steal oil or that one or what have you. So, yeah, it's just I take anything they say with a grain of salt. All right, everybody, thanks for hanging over that break. The first hour we talked to attorney Kurt Haskell. He's down in Costa Rica. He's the man that survived the underwear bombing incident in um, 2009. And so he's keenly aware of the use of false flags. And um, he's speaking with us today about the incident in Las Vegas recently um, with the shooter. Uh, over 50 people died. And we've come to the conclusion on this show, he and I, that people really did die and that this was some sort of drill that also got kind of mushed in with a live event and the people that were there, it was difficult for them to know if it was real or live. And it basically the whole thing panned out to be a giant disinfo um, campaign to break up the truth movement, according to, to Keith, I mean, excuse me, Kurt Haskell. Um, so... We talked about this uh, woman, Rita Kratz, who has to do with SITE, which is this um, ISIS monitoring organization, which really is an anti-Islamic propagandist. Her, her roots seem to be in Mossad. Um, 
We talked about Mary Lou, the girlfriend, who looks like she's somehow a CIA asset herself. She's some sort of – she's very – her background's so sketchy. Then we have um, the shooter himself. He also is very sketchy. We were talking about Jesus Campos, the security guard, who is like lauded as being a hero and now no longer works at the hotel um, and how they changed his story. And so, Kurt, I think we have to talk about what exactly what do you think the motive is for all this? Because clearly, I think we've pieced together in the first hour that this is just it's so got so many holes punching in it already. Just the way that it's set going down in the media and what they've been disclosing to us. Um what do you think the motive is for all this? Sure. Uh, well, the motive, <clears throat> and it goes back to uh, to the underwear bomber event that I was involved in, because anyone that's familiar with that event, and if you follow me, I'm sure you are, that was a false flag event to the main purpose of which was to sell body scanning machines to the airports. Up till Up until that event, uh, you recall that airports just had metal detectors. They right. had a few of them had a body scanning machine, maybe, but they weren't widely widely spread. So there was there was actually a bill in Congress at the time that would have restricted the use of body scanning machines to only secondary use. Meaning, once you set off the metal detector, then you would have to go through a body scanning machine. So then we have the underwear bomber event, which uh, we had a man supposedly, now we all know the story is the lie, but supposedly had a bomb in his underwear that would not, that was a chemical bomb that would not have been detected by an x-ray machine. So therefore, uh, the need for body scanning machines that could see within your clothes to be sold throughout the United States airports. These were already built. They were sitting in warehouses collecting dust. Now, That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Who who uh, could have made this happen and was also tied to the body scanning machine companies? Well, no other than Michael Zionist. I'm going to throw that out there. Zionist, because Zionists are involved in this incident too, whether people want to admit it or not. Michael Chertoff. Can you de- define? Excuse me. Can you define Zionist just for people so if oh, they're not sure. familiar with that? Sure. My definition is people that claim to be Jewish and want Israel to rule the world. That would be my Zionist. They put Israel ahead. It's the interest of Israel ahead of the United States. Okay. Now, a lot of these people are within the U.S. government or are super rich people. You know, you can you can call them other names, too. Neocon would be another term. But I prefer Zionists because most of them claim to be Jewish. Now, I don't think they have anything to do with religion, actually. And I think these are the people that the Bible refers to as uh, fake Jews, something like that. I don't want to get into that anymore, but... Yeah. Neocon, neocons, New World Order people, the elite. These, you know, I put all these under the same term. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Michael Chertoff also used to be the head, the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He left there to run or be heavily involved in the management of these body scanning machine manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So he has ties to the Department of Homeland Security. 
and the body scanning machine manufacturers. So he was heavily involved in the underwear bomber event, and right in the days after it happened, you saw him on the news through the mainstream media, you know, selling it, you know, whatever, propagandizing the need for his machines. This this is a continuation of that event. Since now those machines have been sold throughout the airports, they need another market. Well, the next market is private industry, hotels. Hotels, and I think it's also going to be expanded to universities, stadiums, other large uh, public places that, you know, maybe – could benefit from one of these, maybe, you know, at the expense of giving up more more freedoms to Americans. But anyway, I think this is a continuation of that event, too, because you have uh, basically the same kind of thing. You know, could this have been prevented with body scanning machines at the front doors? Maybe. But, you know, do you want to go to a hotel somewhere and have to stand in line after you've traveled all day for a half an hour just to get into your hotel. And every time you go in and out, you have to go through these machines. It's going to be a real hassle, right? So you're going to need laws to make this happen. These hotels aren't going to do it on their own. So huh. oh, I, yeah, think that's... That, I think that's what you're looking at for the number one reason for this one. And by the way, I don't think this one – this one might be good enough to get the laws passed in Nevada, maybe, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get them passed nationwide. And you have to think about this, too. The hotels aren't going to do it on their own, because if you have some of them doing it, then people are going to stay away from those hotels just due to the, due to the hassle. They're going to go next door where they don't have to go through all the security for the most part. So I think there's you're going to see laws passed first in Nevada. And then I think you're going to see more of these events in other places nationwide, maybe in a couple hotels first, where where we start seeing laws passed nationwide for hotels, requiring them to have this equipment. And then you're going to see it in uh, similar things with other events. Now, I read uh, two days ago that Michael Chertoff's group was just put in charge of security for the upcoming Super Bowl. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see some sort of an event at the Super Bowl coming up in a few months. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you're going to see. You're you're going to see uh, similar type events happen where people will be able to make the case that body scanning machines or x-ray machines would have stopped the attack. Okay. That's the yeah. number one. No, yeah, I agree, I agree with you that the um, X-ray machine, the body scanning machines, were just sitting in um, just warehouses doing nothing. Here's my question: Does mm-hmm. Israel have these things at hotels or anything? They obviously still have. They use them at their airports. Every international airport uses them. But um, are they using them off location from airports? You know, I I haven't been there, but I believe they use them all over the country in all kinds of businesses. You know, other people would be more of an expert on that than I am. But I know they have a very locked down, secure country, if that's how you if that's how you want to live. Because because I know when I was working for the defense contractor, which was uh, selling these things, we couldn't sell them before your underwear bomber incident. And that's how for everybody listening, that's how I got to know Kurt, because I heard his story and I said, oh, my God, that's what moved all these scanners out of the warehouse. This guy's. Like, so I was very, like, 
you know, all my little hairs on the back of my neck went up when I heard this guy got our scanner sold. So, um, yeah, so, so I wanted, I worked for a different company where it wasn't Cheritoff's company. The company that I worked for now has full body scanners, I think, and most of the big airports that I've gone to, I worked for um, L3. And so that's the L3 scanners. Um, But Cheritoff's group does the rapid scan. That's a different one. But just so you know, Israel did not want those full body scanners when they first hit the hit the road because they didn't work back then. They didn't work. They just didn't work. The 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 body showed up as black. You know, excuse um, there's a black background. The body showed up as white, and the gun would show up as black. So if you're wearing baggy right. wearing baggy clothes and you have a black gun showing up on a black background, it didn't show up. So Israel right. was just like, F you, get out of here. So our salespeople were very sad. But then when your incident happened, we were like, yeah, you know, they're all excited. So. <laughs> right. Now, there's obviously gun control is another reason for this one. We see all these automatic weapons. You know, we have the story that Paddock had, what, 23 guns in his room and some huge number in his house. You know, despite the fact that his brother said he wasn't a gun guy. Right. 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 <laughs> and maybe had one or two weapons, but never mind that. He had 23 in the hotel room, uh-huh. automatic weapons. You know, how many do you need to shoot? How many How many can you shoot at once? One? <laughs> why do you need 23, right? That, right it's right. nonsense. On it's, top of it, why do you need that, The you know, the little holder that you put the guns in, those little stands, those little tripods that you put yeah. in? Yeah, well, you maybe you would that. You wouldn't Maybe need you that. would need one if you're going to fire a thousand rounds, but I don't think that's what happened here. But anyway, I, don't I so. no, I don't either. I think this, all this gun stuff, all these 23 guns, 1600 rounds of ammunition in his room, this is all for the the anti-gun people. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. It's propaganda. I, I don't too. believe it. I don't believe it at all. So that that's another reason for this one. Well, the other, can, the other thing can, I'm thinking too is that when you said the hotels would want these to you know prevent anybody from bringing a gun in but but, but nonetheless you could still be out at an event and sh- gunshots could be fired down on you from somewhere else like one of those towers oh, sure. so so it doesn't even no, matter it doesn't matter if no, there's no hotels. there's no stopping mass shootings like this you know no. you can you can pass whatever kind of laws you want you're not going to stop them it's, it's not going to happen people need to quit trying it's just not going to happen. But the the positive side to that is that these are all government-sponsored events. So if somehow you can stop that or the, this group of real evil, evil elite people that I talked about, if you can stop them, you can stop this because normal people aren't doing these shootings at all. Forget it. They're not. All right. So what about the- there's, a, there's the another one. reason for this one. That kind of flies under the radar, and that's the tie into the Bundy Ranch trials. Oh, yeah. Let's hear about that. Let's hear about that. Sure. Or set to go to trial this week, the Bundy Ranch trials. Now, they've been having problems convicting some of these people. And a lot of the people are the same from the, the standoff in Oregon and the Bundy Ranch standoff. A lot of people are, people are the same, the defendants. Some of them have gotten acquitted even based on jury nullification 
and some of them have had hung trials. The government's really having a hard time getting convictions against these people. <clears throat> so look what happens. The week before the Bundy Ranch trial start, we have a crazy, supposedly older white man from Mesquite, Nevada. Mesquite, Nevada happens to be where the Bundy Ranch is at, the same city. Where does the shooting take place? Las Vegas. Where the trial is going to be? Las Vegas. So what we have <clears throat> is a jury pool they're taking from the city of Las Vegas that is very aware of the mass shooting that just took place in its town from a crazy man from Mesquite. A crazy oh, my old gosh. See, I didn't, I didn't even put those <clears throat> two together, that whole thing. I heard people talking about the two, and I wasn't putting the two together because they were pulling people in from Las Vegas for the jury? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. The jurors oh, are coming. come <laughs> exactly. on. Yes, and it's worse. Right, The day after the shooting, Monday last week, the prosecutors pulled all the plea deals off the table <gasps> that, that had already been offered because of the shooting, because uh -huh. they know it helps their case. This, this shooting helps their case. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yes. All right, so right there, there's another aspect to this whole thing. All right, so we've already said that the ISIS uh, thing <laughs> probably wasn't really the real reason. The, the one yeah. other one was that the full body scanners looks like a good motivation to kill all these people. The other one, though, of course, is this uh, the Bundy Ranch trial. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Yes. And so and well, they're trying they're trying to divide the truth community too. Right, okay. That's, well, what can I ask a question though? Why is the Bundy Ranch thing so important? I mean, yeah, it seemed like they even that with the shooting of that, you know how they shot the people in the Bronco and all that. Um yeah. that, that was, was a small ranch though. But yeah. yeah which some, one, that was a, that was a different one? Okay, so what's all right, play that, it out. So that was the, that was the Oregon that was the Oregon standoff. But they're right. similar. They're okay. similar. So it's the same group of people, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A lot of the people are the same, or the same ideas, anyway. And because it was the Bundys that went up to Oregon that started that standoff, the the you know the ones that had the ranch in Mesquite, <clears throat> Mesquite, Nevada. No, it's the Bureau of Land Management, a federal bureau, exceeding its constitutional authority to take away private land. And that's the argument here. So it's a it's a, a constitutional question of how much federal authority does the Bureau of Land Management really have. That's why this is such a big deal. And you have all these uh, patriot types going out and standing up with guns against the federal government. And the federal government doesn't like to have it's authority checked or be told, no, it can't do something. So that's why it's a big deal. They want to come down hard on these people and put them away for many years for being involved in these protests. Okay. All right. So does that seem like it would be, yeah. So this, this is an angle, but I don't feel like that would be the, the number one thing that would make them want to kill all these people. No, it's not the number one. The number one right. is to it's sell the body, body scan scanners. Machines. So this is just opinion. like this is like a fringe benefit. <clears throat> yes. Whenever you see these events, they have multiple reasons. There, mm -hmm. you know, it's reason one, two, three, four, or five. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've got the the full body scanner. So we got to keep a lookout for that. Do you think there's going to be an event like this? You said at the the Super Bowl. I hate to make anything 
any predictions that specific? Because then, you know, people say I'm just wrong. Yeah. I, we're going to see very, very similar events happening soon. I think we'll see a few until they get the laws passed that they want. There, I think we'll see at least one more in a hotel. And then we'll see some in, in other, uh, you know, places where a lot of people gather that maybe it would make sense to have these at the door if you want to live in that sort of security state, like malls, universities. I was just going to say, I could totally going down to university. Yeah, I could yeah. university. Those, those kind of things. Yeah, so look for at least one more in a hotel and then some of these other places too. And bad enough and enough of them to get these machines sold to all of these places. So it may take a few of them or, a, you know, a couple large ones. All right. So to the people that you see floating around online and that they're really affected by all of these different shootings, they want to change gun laws. You hear them say not thoughts and prayers, but policy. And, you know, there's different little jingles that came out immediately, like they already had the artwork up for it. You know, um, do, do you think changing anything about the gun laws would affect anything like this in the future or no. i know there's people yeah I, there's people like no no you got to keep guns going and then you know, other people like, oh you gotta and i do you think this the whole bump uh you know that bump uh stock yeah uh, do you think the whole bump stock thing was just like to put people what do you think that was all about because i didn't even know what a Gun bump control. stock yeah i didn't even know what bu- what a bump stock was and i was like well does mm-hmm. do people have it but i thought it might have been diversionary to just kind of pe- keep people away because the NRA came out and said, no, we agree that they should be monitored. And so I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that's like a sign of the apocalypse. The NRA looking for some <laughs> sort of sort of management of anything gun related. Wow. OK, so, yeah. Tell me about this. The um, if you notice the interview of the brother, Eric Paddock. Yeah. He acts all crazy like he's he's overacting. Right. He's it's a lot of people say he's on drugs. It's so bad. But when they ask him about guns, he becomes an expert. Mm. He's talking about bump stocks, you know, and this weapon and that weapon. He calms right down, gets all serious. It's a definite tip off that this bump stock thing and all this automatic weapons fire, the number of guns he had, the number, the amount of ammunition he had is all for the anti-gun crowd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of it is. And the people that push the anti-gun business the most is this New World Order Zionist group. They want to take all your weapons away because if they do, then they can cr- control you forever permanently and you can't do anything about it. We would no longer have this Bundy Ranch type of situation. We wouldn't ever have this Oregon Ranch situation. They wouldn't have to have these trials anymore. You wouldn't have your guns to show up and protest there. Now, and this is something that uh, Germany did in the 1930s, took away weapons. They start executing people. No, I don't want to get into that too much. But, you know, there's a long, uh, long line of historical evidence that people get their guns taken away. And then all of a sudden they they start getting killed. <laughs> then all of a it's sudden true. the government. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the government decides, OK, you cannot protect yourself. We we will kill but, you. But the bigger bigger point is these aren't ordinary people that are pulling off these events. You want to take yeah. you want to take guns away from ordinary people, but they're not even the ones pulling off these events. 
this right. is not this is not an event pulled off by this lone crazy person Stephen Paddock. I mean, even if you watch the press conferences of Sheriff Lombardo, he even says this guy would have had to have been Superman to pull this off on his own. Yeah, you, you know. And this is a guy under the thumb of the FBI who's standing over his shoulder watching every word he says, and he's even admitting that. So these, you know, this these events aren't aren't pulled off by single crazy people. That's just propaganda. You know, it's the same thing we hear every time, like San Bernardino, you know, all the eyewitness reports that three white people, you know, in Bataclavas went in there and killed everyone yet. You know, here we have this, you know, everyday Muslim couple are the patsies and are killed. It doesn't make sense. The, the evidence never compares with who the shooters are. Orlando Pulse, oh, is this gay-hating Muslim Omar Mateen, despite the fact there's not one shred of evidence he was even in the city of Orlando and not one shred of evidence anyone was even shot. But, you know, it was one single crazy person. It's always one crazy person. You know, Dylan Roof. Adam Lanza, I mean, go down the line. It's always one crazy person, mm-hmm. always, despite whatever other evidence there is. And uh, by the way, in this this one, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that it was many uh, coordinated attack, many people involved, and that evidence is being suppressed for this story of the lone gunman because – uh, Las Vegas is a city that lives and dies on tourism. If you have this story that there, you know, this hit team of multiple gunmen came and shot up Las Vegas and some of them escaped and it was this well planned, yada, yada, yada. Security cameras were compromised. Security, or, you know, people wore security uniforms. You're going to have the city die. So that's part of the reason they're, they're covering this up. There would be no tourism there at all. It's a business decision. All right. So if all right, I'm going to go back to the the MGM Grand. Um, mm-hmm. that that they started selling off their stock. They owned Mandalay yes. Bay. They the top of their the top floors of Mandalay Bay were owned by, I believe it was Four Seasons, and that's mm-hmm. called the Founders Club at the top. And the Founders <laughs> Club is a different, you know, it's not Mandalay Bay. It's Four Seasons, and that was owned by was it MGM or was it Four Seasons itself is owned mostly by Saudis so oh, uh, oh I don't know yeah I, I haven't gotten into that yeah so I've, yeah. Now, I've been looking at some of the stock stuff and I'm like you know what yes. they started selling this stuff off like almost when um Paddock arrived in Las Vegas they'd been selling 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 and then sold like what a couple days before like their big chunk To me, it looked like they knew something was up. I also realized that the owner of the MGM stock, you know, that company, they he was very much linked in with the Saudis, and he owed. Yeah, I was looking. He owed his he owed his career basically to them. They saved him when his hotels. So, um, why do you think? Do you think that's why they picked Mandalay to pull this at, or? If they're uh, like, like you said, Zionists and yeah, all. well, it was probably the the best location, and you had the owners that are uh, most willing to be involved in it. You have uh, Mandalay CEO, I think his name is Mullen. 
I'd have to double check his name, but I think so. He did the same. In August, he sold some ridiculous amount of stocks. I'd have to go check it, but it was many millions of dollars. Right, right. And then you also have uh, George Soros, who's one oh, of the – Oh, yeah. What what happened to him? Because I saw him George, floating around. Yeah. George Soros bought 1,350,000 shares of puts on uh, MGM stock, which mm-hmm. a put – uh, what a put is, is it's uh, a bet that the stock is going to go down. So, uh, you know, you're instead of buying it, hoping that it goes up, you're buying puts, hoping that it goes down. So uh, in the last month, he bought one million three hundred fifty thousand shares of puts, which would be many, many millions of dollars. And since the event, since the Las Vegas event, the stock has gone down seven uh, percent. But in puts, it's like a multiplier. So you yeah. make much, you make much more than that. So if it right. went down seven, went down 7%, you're making a lot more than that. Right. So he made, I don't even know how much, many millions off that. So that's, you know, that's evidence uh, for knowledge there. All right. So that's Soros right there. Yeah. Soros, and Soros is, is one of the main people in this New World Order Zionist group. He's involved in nearly all these events. He was heavily involved in uh, Charlottesville. Right. He funds he funds BLM. He funds Antifa. Uh, he was involved in the University of Missouri ousting of the president, and he was involved in ousting the the president of Ukraine, and goes on and on and on and on. Anyway, so mm-hmm. from this, I have to believe he had foreknowledge before this. He only had something like 3,500 shares of MGM stock, 3,500. He sold those and bought 1,350,000 shares of puts. Huge, uh, you know, many, many more times than what he had, betting the opposite direction. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. So now for people that just tuned in, we just were talking about Las Vegas. We're talking about the first hour if you want to – Go back to the archives. They're at AmericanFreedomRadio.com. They're at ShadowCitizen.online. I will be distributing the links to the archives that I put up on YouTube, Vimeo, SoundCloud, uh, BitChute, Steemit, and iTunes. Um, I'll, uh, my Facebook page, if you wanna, and I'll be I'll just be distributing that out via Twitter and LinkedIn, and you'll see those floating around. So when you get your hands on a link to this broadcast. Please watch it and share it with people before it gets messed with on YouTube or wherever it ends up. But we, I try to make multiple copies so that people, it doesn't get lost down a memory hole. I think what Kurt's ha- talking about is very important today. We're just talking about the very different things and tearing apart the official story because, quite frankly, nobody is believing the official story. In fact, um, Jack Blood, who is also um, on American Freedom Radio, he just did two shows that uh, my producer just told us um, his last two shows are in the archive at American Freedom Radio that people should listen to because he's talking about the financial aspects of this uh, event where he was talking about how uh, uh, Paddock and his brother actually had a business together laundering money. So that should be very interesting, too, for everybody listening to this show. Um, now, Kurt, back to you. Now, mm-hmm. 
so you think this whole thing is primarily just to get the body scanners in? Um, yeah, the number one reason. Right. One of, you know, one of several reasons. Yes. Uh, yes. That that uh, that makes me sick to my stomach. Absolutely sick. Yes. Yeah, me too. You know, Las Vegas is one of my favorite places in the world, one of my favorite cities. And what's nice is you can go from casino to casino, hotel to hotel, and just kind of walk through, look around, and you have the freedom to do that. And if you start putting these security measures at the front door of all these places, it's really it's really going to take away from that, mm-hmm. I think. It's yeah. going to make it a miserable kind of place, I think, yeah. all, all over nothing, all over this nonsense, ridiculous shooting. But, you know, what's what's important to people that still aren't believing that uh, Paddock wasn't involved or, you know, they're believing the official story. You have to ask yourself, what was his motive, number one, and why did he stop shooting? And these aren't questions that have been answered, and they're – Two of the most important questions, because if you can't answer those, then the official story doesn't make any sense at all. No, among among other reasons. But, you know, there's no there's no evidence that this guy was crazy. There's nothing. There's none whatsoever. So why did he do the shooting? Why would he target this group? You know, we have no we have no reason whatsoever. This is a, a very wealthy guy. He's not he's not working. He's retired. He has a girlfriend. He seems to be enjoying life. They travel all over the place, you know. They go to casinos and stay there for days at a time and nice suites. And yet, why would he shoot all these people? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, I did see a report that he had booked some two rooms over Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. You know, but who knows what the heck? They might have just said, "Oh, he want maybe he wanted to see the concert. Maybe he thought it was kind of cool. Who knows?" Yeah, I don't know. I think they're laying the ground there for another mass shooting from a hotel, but we'll see, I guess. But the, the other reason is why Why did he stop shooting? If we're to right. believe this story that he's shooting from the 32nd floor, he has 1,600 rounds of ammunition, why did he stop, right? He has – the story doesn't make any sense. He also has bomb uh, explosive material in his oh, car. Oh, yeah. What happened why to is, that? Why is it in his car, Right. Why is it in his car? Why wouldn't he have that in his room to make some sort of explosive device? Right? Well, why why didn't he bring it at all? Right. When I heard that, I started thinking of Oklahoma City. I was like, oh, my gosh, is he going to blow up the whole hotel? But it doesn't look like it did anything. He was just driving around with lots of explosives. Yeah, why? There's no reason. You would have that in your hotel room. So. You would either have it as some sort of means to stop the police approaching you or to just go out in one big bang and kill yourself. But why would he keep it in his car? Why do you bring it in all then? See, it doesn't make any sense. But why now that now we have this, uh, the, the story of Jesus Campos being a lie, you know, being that Jesus Campos found him out and that's why he stopped shooting, now admitted by Sheriff Lombardo that it's a lie. Well, why did he stop shooting then? We have no explanation. He could have kept shooting. Remember, SWAT team didn't breach the room for another 72 minutes. Yeah, could okay, have that's, kept that's shooting. the other thing, too. What, what took the SWAT team so darn long? Right. That's a long time. That's a really long time. 
Right. But even so, why didn't he keep shooting? It does, see, it doesn't make any sense. Why would he kill himself then? He, would, he wouldn't. He would either shoot it out with police and try and escape or kill himself after they broke down the door to get inside. So he would keep shooting. He had 1,600 rounds, supposedly. Um, so it doesn't make the, the story doesn't make any sense why he would stop. Now, what does make sense is that Jesus Campos was the shooter, went up there on his shift, shot a few hundred rounds, then tried to escape in his security uniform and say he was on duty. That makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. And they killed, they killed someone else, uh, you know, and claimed that he was Paddock. All right, so, so was Paddock ever, in your estimation, was Paddock even ever in this hotel? Yes, I think he was. Um, I have confirmation from someone that was there that Paddock was actually there gambling 15 minutes before the shooting. 15 minutes? 15, 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yes, 15 minutes. He was in the casino gambling 15 minutes before, and it's on uh, the security cameras of the casino. They have the footage. So, again, that, that doesn't make sense for someone that's going to go out on this suicide shooting mission. Right. Why, would you, why would you care about money at all? You know, you're not gambling trying to win money. You're going to be dead here in the next half an hour. Makes right. no sense. Yeah. Oh, right. by the way, I also have confirmation from someone that was in the Mandalay Bay Casino that they shut some of the tables down in the casino because they were going to have a drill. And that day, that day, yeah, that, exactly that day, the, the day of October the 1st, there was mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine interviewed a person that was playing craps there and they shut his table down at 2 p.m. because they needed it for an upcoming drill or they said they're shutting the table down because the drill was going to be starting. So that's just another tidbit showing that there was a drill. But, yeah, I think Panic was there. You know, he's. uh an asset of some kind. I'm sure they put him there to get him on video and, uh, you know, paid him to use his name to be the fall guy. I don't think he was the one that was killed. And they gave him a one-way ticket to the Philippines with Mary Lou. And one or both of them was paid a hundred grand for their efforts in this. Okay. So the pictures that came out, that said, oh, my gosh, I see somebody on October, I think it was October 7th, somewhere mm-hmm. else, and it's down mm-hmm. Atlantic City, New Jersey. Do you mm-hmm. think that really was him, or do you think that was a piece of disinfo that was mastered to, like, just screw everybody up some more? That's a good question, because it does look like him. It looks just like him, but then again, you know, it's video, and we have all sorts of Photoshop and Adobe products that can make anything. I put, look it, I put it in Twins or Not, and it said 100% match. Yeah. So... I noticed on Twitter the guy that had posted that he it got taken off of Twitter. He he was complaining on his I forget what the guy's name is. He's some sort of gambler himself, and he saw this guy and he videotaped it and he complained that Twitter had taken it off of Twitter and other people really? were yeah people were showing him back the um I think it was We the People is the um the outlet that I got it through. So people were sending that to me, so that was already somebody had touched it and kind of. You know, I think things together. I think it was part of the the intentional confusion with this that they probably filmed that ahead of time. Yeah, and then somebody else put up the um. I think there's somebody on Twitter called Ghost Crab who um put up the flight p- pattern of an FBI plane that day that the um 
got the pictures supposedly were taken in Atlantic City. It had the flight pattern of a Cessna flying around Atlantic City just kind of aimlessly on that day that the pictures were taken of the alive paddock in Atlantic City. So that was kind of interesting. I don't know if they just hang out over, you know, the casinos all the time, especially after shooting in Las Vegas. Maybe they did that. I don't know. But that was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, it just it just seems to me that he would probably be sent out of the country for a while. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Like you get like a, a facelift or, you know, some cosmetic little, surgery or something. Yes, yes, exactly. I think it's a little too in your face. And with all the other deception involved in this event, I'd have to think that it was probably filmed ahead of time and manipulated somehow with that piece of paper that showed the date Mm -hmm. to make it look like it was after the shooting when it was actually before. But I think Paddock was willingly involved in this, but not, uh, I don't think he died. I think he was just a willing fall guy. Right. You know, to use his name and identity as the person that was killed. Yeah, who the, per- then who go the live person that was killed was? I don't, right. Who the person that was killed I, was, I don't know. They're pro- I would say him and Mary Lou are probably in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, they probably are. Most probably. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my other question. Now, of course, when things like this happen, people start thinking of very demonic reasons. And mm-hmm. you'll hear, um, I saw some stuff coming through Alex Jones' channel about well, here we go. About you know the numbers and the the thirteen on the neck and the. Do you think, mm-hmm. in your opinion, was there any sort of nefarious, demonic, satanic symbolism <sighs> that had to do with this as a sacrifice of some sort to something? I know oh. you're Gaza, but <clears throat> that stuff's well, floating around. Here's the thing. Very, very logical for people that are of that mindset to shoot that out. Yeah, here's the thing. You know, I'm not into numerology and I don't, when we have these events, I don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, but there's something to it. It doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter if I'm into it or not because these people, these elites, whatever you want to call them, they're satanic individuals. I really believe that. And certain numbers mean certain things to them, like 9-11. They have, you know, there are certain days of sacrifice and I don't get into that. So I couldn't tell you what they are. But certain numbers keep coming up that are tied to events like this, like 322. If you look at the date, 322, March 22nd, you'll see there are a lot of these events on that date. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it has something to do with 11. And I don't I don't understand all that. But another thing is they have their like their symbols, you know, like the pyramid that we see the all seeing the all seeing eye on top of the pyramid on the dollar bill. Well, where did this take place? Well, it took place across the street from the Luxor, you know, the pyramid shaped hotel mm-hmm. with an obelisk right there. You know, an obelisk is another symbol they like. You know, we have one like in Washington, D.C., right? Why is there an obelisk in Washington, D.C.? Nobody ever asked that, you know, mm-hmm. the Washington. Washington Monument, it's called, I think, right? Yeah, it's Washington yeah. Monument. Right. Why is there an obelisk in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, there's only, well, it's there's bizarre. a few of that size. Um, there's one in Buenos Aires, on Argentina, mm-hmm. because they built, the Germans built it there. Um, then there's another obelisk, obelisk in um, the Vatican. But that the Vatican one is the only one that comes from ancient Egypt. It's been pillaged from ancient Egypt. So it seems like all of the... Um, 
big major players at you know around the time of World War II, even before they used the um, symbol of uh, obelisk, which was a I guess a Freemason or a stonecutters type of thing to show just how powerful you were. So, yeah, so I think there's something to it, but, you know, I'm not an expert on that. And I try not talk about it that much because I think really people start to think you're crazy if you start talking about this new But I do think there's something to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there is, too. But I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but there is something to it for sure. Um, They do seem to like certain days. Mm -hmm. Here at Shadow Citizen, we did do an interview. I I believe it was with Jack Blood. I think we did Jack Blood and um, James Perloff right around the Ides of March, and we talked about that, the the numerology and those dates of uh, what happened in the past. So, yeah, so it is a real thing. Oh, goodness gracious. All right, so, all right, so we all know now that this has been a constructed event. Um, what can we do as citizens of the United States, granted, you have moved out of this country, you've just we're kind of gotten, you're through with it, you said, you know, it's, there's, I can't you ran for some sort of uh, government position, was it Congress? Yeah, I ran for U.S. Congress. Right, and and then, you know, you didn't win the election and then you just said, you know what, I'm out of here, so you moved down to Costa Rica so tell me a little bit about your process of how you went how you went through that you know, briefly. I mean, you don't have to go too, too far. To why, why I left the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it started with the underwear bomber event where, where we, you know, I researched a case for 2,000 hours and realized that it was a false flag. But even more so, the government and this group, these elites, New World Order people, uh, intentionally put our lives at risk by putting a – uh, incendiary device above the gas tank on our plane, which thankfully did not detonate our plane, but it was on fire for a while and they risked our lives intentionally. So, and it started with that. Then the attacks from the press calling us crazy, you know, you know, our account was nonsense. They were saying we're lying, this sort of thing. The, the corruption in the court system, hiding evidence and that sort of thing. You know, Lori and I were both attorneys. So, you know, we realized the court system was corrupt. The media was corrupt. You know, they're risking the lives of people. Thankfully, we weren't killed like some were in this Las Vegas event. Then uh, I was so fed up with it, I decided to try and run for U.S. Congress. And then it was at that point that I realized the, the political system was rigged. Because it's not Democrat versus Republican either. It's, you know, who will who will cause the least amount of waves and take orders from the elites. Mm. Those people will win. Party affiliation means nothing. So I actually had the Democratic Party working against me so that I wouldn't win. I ran as a Democrat. They were working against me so that I wouldn't win, despite the fact that there was an extremely right wing Republican that I was running against. So it's really crazy. Mm-hmm. So that was that was an eye opener that the political system to me was rigged too. So <clears throat> after that, Lori and I decided that there's no there's no fixing the problems in the U.S. Uh, without some sort of civil uprising. So we could see the writing on the wall. Now, we left a little early. We left in 2014, 
But, you know, you can never determine exactly when the civil uprising is going to happen because I, I think that will be the next step because it's the only step. When people get angry enough, there's going to be a civil uprising to attempt to overthrow the government or a civil war between different groups of people. That's what they would rather have. Mm-hmm. It'll be one or the other, but we didn't want to be there for that. Right, right. So that's why we ultimately decided to leave because we don't think it's fixable through the current through the current laws. It's not fixable. Do you ever foresee yourself coming back? Mm, there would have to be a constitutional government put in. Then maybe we would consider it one that actually followed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no. otherwise, no. Okay. okay. I, I haven't even been back to visit. That's mm-hmm. how much how much I have no desire to go back into this sort of environment that currently exists. Yeah, because you have to go through the airports now in Costa Rica that all have the full body scanners. <laughs> right. I mean, the other thing is the, the laws don't apply at the border. There's no laws there. It's a right. law free. It's a law free zone. So what would they do to someone like me that's constantly exposing their plots left and right all the time? Yeah. They gonna hold, I mean, they can hold you indefinitely now. Sure. They don't even need they don't even need to tell anyone that they're holding you. Is that yeah. something I want to risk? Not really. No, no. You've got, like I said, you got a nice life in Costa Rica. You've been going to the gym. You're looking good. You got all these fans <laughs> showing up at your Facebook page now. You're, you got a nice life. But oh my God, this, I'm so happy you talked to me today because I thought I was going out of my mind a little bit. When I, you know, yeah. you see a couple of these things, you're like, man, this isn't right. And then when that guy unfriended me, because he really thought I thought the whole thing was a hoax. I was like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. The whole thing is more like the JFK shooting that they yeah. really did, like just kind of make everybody just confused about everything. Yeah. And, you know, a couple things I want to hit. I know we don't have a lot of time yet. Yeah. If, just- the, if your listeners haven't done so yet, I encourage them to listen to the police scanner audio. It's really interesting. You can find it on YouTube. And you can see kind of how it plays out. There, there were shootings reported at multiple hotels, and you hear um, the police actually confirm a second shooter at, at the corner of Giles and Alibaba. Now, those are two small streets that are directly on the east side of the concert venue. So that's interesting. They confirmed it. They, they didn't say possible or reported, confirmed so they've actually, uh, you know, in that audio recording, the police scanner, it goes against the official story. So now we have Mandalay Bay to the southwest and Alibaba and Giles Street to the east. So that's two portions of what I think was a triangulation because obviously you want to have them firing directly at each other. And the, the third shooter, uh, there were at least three in my opinion, is – a security officer on the ground in the southeast part of the venue shooting northwest. And you can see him on one of the videos, and anyone that's seen it knows what I'm talking about, where he pulls out what looks like an automatic weapon and shoots across the crowd as his partner is blinding the crowd with a spotlight. That's what it looks like to me. Not everyone agrees with my assessment there, but his his reactions sure look like those of a guilty man. Uh, if you see him on the video. So I think there were at least three shooters there and possibly even another one in the two abandoned towers behind 
the stage, which would have been, uh, they would have been blinded by the light, the bright lights on the stage that were turned on as people were scrambling, which make, which makes sense too, why they turn those lights on, because they're hiding the muzzle flashes of the automatic gunfire from the towers. Right, right. Directly behind them. Well, what if, speaking of the band, what about the band? Were they involved? Yes. Uh-huh. You have to, you have to think like, uh, uh, other events we've had like this. Ariana Grande mm-hmm. uh, in Manchester, England, most definitely involved in a hoax. I mean, she's even even breaks down laughing in her uh, her uh, benefit concert she did for the victims. It's so obvious she knows it's fake. And then we have uh, the the other group that was in the Bataclan. I'm, I'm forgetting what their names are in Paris when that was shot up. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, they're, they're nobody, but we, we. I know what you're talking about. Like the yeah, they was g- all over the floor. They, they give a, they give a pretty fake interview, I think. Yeah. So and then Jason Aldean has this tattoo of a jack, and an ace on his shoulder, which exactly matches a card from the Illuminati card game. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I saw pretty that interesting. too. That's yeah. Pretty interesting. Now it might sound crazy, but a lot of the cards from that card game do actually match events that happen later. It's yeah, crazy. I, I, went, yeah. Well, I went online. I went online. I went on eBay and I tried to buy like the original set. I was like, "How do I get?" Because I want to frame it. I wanted to frame it and put it on my wall. You know how expensive an original set of those things are? Oh my gosh! They're really? really? No, I don't know. Super expensive. <laughs> I was like, "Well, I guess I could just like get a photocopy of it." I guess, but I had like this thing in my mind. It'd be really cool and really like a, a valuable piece of history to have one of these in your house to look at all the time, because this is nuts how much stuff comes off of this Illuminati card game. There's newer yes. versions out there, like newer versions, and it's not the same. Yeah, so I, I, I think they're just there to tell the story. They're going to tell the propaganda story, I think, when you hear from them, kind of like Ariana Grande and the, the other one from the Bataclan. Mm-hmm. None of them were hurt. Right. Yeah, One of them were yeah, shot, no. got there out was, of there real but, quick. But they were a little too shaken up to do the um, benefit for the survivors of that shooting in Las Vegas. But the same night they went on Saturday Night Live and rocked out. Right. Yeah. All right. You're not too sh- you're not too shooken up to do anything. <laughs> Right. Oh, by the by the way, one one of your listeners said I laugh a little bit too much on your program, so I apologize if I'm laughing a bit too much again. Anyway. Oh. No, I mean I, it's, it's one of those things you gotta just you, you, it's either you laugh or you cry. I mean it's so right. messed up. I just find some of this so ridiculous and that people believe these official stories again and again and again when they're constantly proven wrong by the evidence. So anyway, yeah. that's why I have to laugh at some Yeah, but even if even if we are completely wrong in what we're talking about, even if we're completely wrong, I do feel like people did die and that is really sad. That's the part that's sad because to me it feels like those people got sacrificed for something. And I don't, know, I don't know what the heck they got sacrificed for. And I I really do pray that they are in a better place. Yeah, may, this one really makes me angry. I don't know why, more so than a lot of the other ones. Maybe because I know this is when people actually died at instead of it just being fake and, you know, making people think it was real. Yeah. Yeah. It's really irritating. And where it took place. You know, I just feel like they ruined one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, how come this couldn't happen? Like, you know, Chicago, it had to happen. You know what I mean? Uh, So I don't know. But nonetheless, like I was telling everybody before, archives of this show are on YouTube, Vimeo, SoundCloud, BitChute, Steam it, and iTunes. I want you to take those links that I'm going to be distributing and listen to them and send them to people. Just try to get it slathered all over the Internet, this interview, because what we've talked about isn't saying that the whole entire thing is a hoax. We're just bringing up some very valid points that people should question. And I want to thank Kurt Haskell for being with us. And mostly I want to thank you, audience, for listening. Thank you and have a good night.